Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher kitshanu bimitzvotav vetzivanu La'asok bedivrei Torah Ve'ha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu et divrei Torateka befinu ufi amka beit Yisrael Ve'nie'a anaknu vetzaetzeinu vetzaetzei amka beit Yisrael Kulanu yodea shemeka velom de Torateka lishma Baruch atah Adonai Ham Lamed Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Abba Beshem Adonai Kilishuateka Kiviti Hashem. Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Let the resurrection begin. Come on with it. I'd like to welcome everybody to the Shlock Down PSI. So, yeah, that's right. The Parsha this year we call Shlock Down. Uh, you know, might be too soon because we went through a lockdown this year. And, uh, you know, Baruch Hashem, Gamzule Tova, Eno Milvado, uh, self-quarantining and stuff and, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, everything is happening and it's good. If you are a quantum physicist, which probably not all of us are, but that's cool. So I have had the privilege and opportunity of gleaning some of the principles of quantum physics and one of them is uh actually echoed by rabbi trugman yes that's right rabbi trugman shlita rabbi tonka truck um he was uh speaking in one of the previous parsha that we went through i actually probably have it on this channel but i don't remember what parsha it is so slika slika i apologize I don't know uh, which one that was. And it's interesting because being the PSI series, got to source it out. But anyway, it is from Rabbi Tonka. So just know that, believe that, trust that. But he was bringing down how reality is always constantly changing. So as I'm looking at something, as you're looking at something, it's not the same. I see something that you don't see. You see something that I don't see. And we're looking at the same thing. And quantum physics teaches that because on a quantum molecular level, everything is observed according to its interpretation. So if you ever get super bored or just super crazy interested, Look up what's called the double slit theory. Metal sheet, two slits in it, two holes, for lack of a better term. Side by side, they shine photons through it, and a pattern comes out on the wall, and it's just like, wait a minute. If there's one slit, there's a certain pattern on the wall. Two slits, there's a certain pattern. On, there's a different pattern on the wall. Well, what's making this pattern so different? Let's put a observer an observer on it put an observer on it the, com the pattern changes completely different even though there's still two slits in the wall so there the consensus is that it the results changed based off of the interpreter or the observer if you will that was placed into this experiment take the observer away Photons do whatever they want to. So they also came out with that matter has consciousness. Well, 
If uh, any of you are familiar with what's called Perek Shira, the chapters of song, of course matter has consciousness. Why? Because the stones have conversations. The stones also sing like rocks. Remember this one time when Yeshua was like, yeah, if I tell them to quit crying out, then the rocks will cry out. And you remember this one time that the Psalms talks about trees clapping their hands. You remember this one time at, that Yaakov was at Mount Moriah during the latter experience and he put stones around his head and they were all fighting with one another and they became one stone. Uh, significantly enough, or incidentally, that uh, in the David Hamelech and Goliath story, Goliath, Goliath, uh, he, uh, when David Hamelech was picking up stones or looking for some stones, they were like, pick me, pick me, no, pick me, I'll take him out, da 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 I believe the source on this is Mayam Loaz, but one of our former Avengers uh, shared this with my wife, and so my wife shared this with me. And so I'm kind of like, not surprised, but still, that's ridiculous. And last but not least, one of my favorite sources, Legends of the Yehudim, Legends of the Jews, that's right. You know that one time where Moshe is praying like 515 times? Yeah, so Legends of the Jews decides to put all 515s of those prayers in there. One of them is Moshe talking to the mountains and saying, Hey, need you guys to talk to Hashem for me because I need to get into the promised land and I need you guys to intercede and help me pray. And they said, Well, Moshe, we'd love to help you, but... We have our own problems because in time to come, it says mountains will be cast into the sea and and we don't, we, we got our hands full with that. So mountains will be hewn down and all sorts of stuff like that. And uh, so we got our own prayers, Moshe. Sorry, we'd love to help you. So, I mean, it's just insane to, to like, when you really get into the depths of Torah, on matter having consciousness it's like yeah it does remember the ceo i said one more thing but forget it all bets are off no more one more thing it's always going to be something but anyway uh the sea the sea did not want to split before the children of israel and it was like no i don't see why i should split for them just like i don't see why i need to split for the egyptians Side note, the sea was like, there's no difference between the children of Israel and Egyptians. Just want to say, that's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. How are you going to say that these righteous people who just ate the Pesach lamb are no different than the Egyptians? Well, the argument of the sea is the children of Israel are idolaters. And it's like, ooh, snap. You know, talk about uh, a wipeout, right? You know, anyway, so Hashem was like, listen, see, I told you, you got to split. Remember that one time in Genesis chapter one, when I was doing stuff, I said, hey, uh, waters, you're going to, you know, part and, you know, you're going to have upper waters, lower waters, you're going to have uh, dry land come up. And I want you to do this on condition. 
There's going to be a condition here. Because one day in the future, children of Israel are going to need you to make some dry land in the middle of the waters. Just like you did to bring up land so that we can bring up vegetation. So that we can bring up the animals. So that I can bring up a dome. So, anyway. So I'm going to need you to do that again in the future. I'm going to need you to bring up dry land. I'm going to need you to bring up vegetation. Because I'm bringing up a dome. I.e. the children of Israel in the mixed multitude that were set free from Egypt. Yeah, Adam. Anyway, so that's from the Midrash Rabbah. Uh, if any of you are familiar with Yosef Ha'emet, that's right, Yosef, the the ridiculous Canadian, so Yosef Shlita, if you are uh, on Facebook or on uh, YouTube, you can look him up, Yosef Ha'emet. I believe his last name is Reichman. I have Facebook right here. Why don't I just look it up? I'm shouting him out right now. This this guy, I have renamed him Hates, which is uh, lightnings and bolts, lightning bolts. Because he is, whether he knows it or not, he is the black bolt Chavenja. So the Shomer version of black bolt aka lightning bolt uh that's this guy um he's normally at the top of my feed there it is yosef rickman there it is brugesham so yeah him shlita may he have a long and blessed life amen that's what shlita means so i'm trying to get myself in the habit of saying that but anyway he brought down in one of his videos about this whole condition of creation and Moshe and all that kind of stuff. What was the name of that video? Hmm, please source it. Let's see. Don't worry, it was only a video he did recently. <laughs> I'm going to go to his YouTube because that's the easiest way to do it. Alright, so... Mr. Yosef. Mr. Yosef Rickman. Okay, stand by. I'm I'm using what I'm terming uh, my new suit right now because uh, this is something that I'm trying to get down uh, with. I'm trying to learn how to use my sources better. So between searching, navigating from screen to screen, source to source, what picture did I take and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that. Okay. I believe it was the word became flesh drop. So he has a video called the word became flesh. And he also has one called Mashiach Ben Ephraim. Let's see if he has this one. Hmm. Which one is this? No. No. Where it became flesh. Oh yeah, it's this one because uh, he he has a picture of the book. He's using Or Hakaim. Yep, there it is. The sea said to Moshe, "I will not split." Shemot Rabbah twenty one six. And uh, yeah, so yeah, look up the word "became flesh" by Yosef Haemet on YouTube. Shameless plugging. That's right. Um, that guy, you know, ridiculous. I love it. 
and I've been wanting to like really request him to make some videos. It's been three weeks, man. Come on, man. Three weeks, man. What's the deal? Three weeks of mourning. Come on now. Ain't time for that yet. Speaking of three weeks, that is coming up. The three weeks of mourning. Uh, let's get that down. Always got to stay ahead of the game, right? So the three weeks of mourning coming up uh, for this year. Three weeks of mourning. Thursday, July the 9th. Man. The weeks, or they're called Bain Hametzarim. Bain Hametzarim. Commemorating or remembering the destruction of the first and second temples. Uh, the breaking of the tablets. Oh, and this week's Torah portion, Parshash Lockdown, when uh, there was the bad report, the Lashon Haral on the land from the the Reglaim, the the pilgrimage people, or the anti-pilgrimage people, shall we say, because they came back and was like, no, we don't need to go in the land, can't do that, it's not right, I'm not going to do it, it's wrong, there's giants in the land, which by the way is the uh, the focus of this podcast, even though I'm all over the place right now. But as many of you know, that is my M.O. I am normally all over the place. But I love the fact that this is called Bain HaMetzrim because it's literally Mitzrayim. So between Mitzrayim, Bain as in Hamavdil Bain Kodesh Lakol, who separates between the holy and the secular, or the holy and the mundane. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of like so between Mitzrayim you know and it's it's really neat because this these three weeks are you know increasingly uh observant so we start off by a fast on the 17th of Tammuz and again that was the golden calf that was the breaking of the tablets all of that right so that was going on Moshe was like you guys y'all said not saving each mind like what's the deal now now we're Kind of, nah, we said, but nah, we will not kind of thing. Like, what What was that? Well, we thought you were dead, Moshe, so we changed our mind. It's like, okay, so if the Redeemer's alive, we're okay with serving Hashem no matter what he says. But if the Redeemer's dead, we're not okay with serving Hashem no matter what he says? Hmm... There's a religion out there that teaches that the Redeemer is alive, but yet they don't care about doing what Hashem said. That's interesting. Anyway, I want to point out that, uh, you know, so during these weeks, we stop listening to music, you know, and then for the last nine days, we don't eat meat or drink wine unless it's Shabbat. And I should say, during the whole three-week time period, the only time we eat meat and drink wine is on Shabbat. Uh, the first two of the three weeks, you know, uh, obviously outside of Shabbat, you can drink wine and eat meat. But uh, when you get down to those last nine days, specifically beginning with the month of Av, again, this all kicks off July the 9th. So, you know, for the Los Estadidos, Los Estadidos Unidos, 
Estados, Los Estados Unidos, there we go, the United States, uh, for those of you who celebrate 4th of July, for those of us who do that, um, you know, well, that'll pretty much be our big celebration week with music and everything, and then, you know, a couple of days later, it's like, all right, shut it down, <laughs> you know, uh, and it, it's interesting, too, because we have to make sure that we're cognizant of this time period. This is when a lot of anti-Semitism really spikes. This is when, you know, all the episodes of the rockets in Israel really heightened. You know, this is when a lot of just very, very traumatic things in our history has happened. You know, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, the, um, I mean, all sorts of stuff. Like, just off the top of my head, those were the big ones that have happened, you know. Uh, and again, the destruction of the temple. I mean, that's that's pretty significant. It's like taking out the light of the world, you know, kind of thing. So... And that's what that time period is about. So I encourage you to really, you know, go on to the Social Home YouTube channel, get you some on that. Um, go back to last year's three weeks of mourning information and re-glean, rehash out things. You know, we have um, tutorial videos that are up on YouTube about this. So, you know, get on the Social Home Synagogue YouTube and it'll talk about the three weeks. And the Lapid Judaism YouTube channel has uh, special videos that talk about this. So we'll need to be reposting those things. So I encourage you, lead out on that in social media. Get that done. You know, let's stay ahead of the game. Because we don't want to have the three weeks sneak up on us and then be all like, Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was supposed to not listen to music today. I'm my bad. You know. And again, you know. Because people are like, well, if we can't listen to music, what does that mean about TV shows? Because most TV shows have introduction music. And it's like, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, that's not ideal. But, uh, you know, this would be a good time to really kind of refine your TV time if you're a TV person. I'm not a TV person, but I currently uh, watch a lot of YouTube videos that have music in the background. And I'm like... Yeah, that's going to have to get fixed, you know. So whether I'm going to be listening to them on mute or spending more time not listening to them, I don't know. Um, definitely do some documentaries and things like that. So, you know, Brukashum. But just want us to be mindful that pretty much from the 9th of July all the way to the 30th, you know, that's three weeks of... Of morning. That's the Bain Ha Metzrim. Metzarim. And I just, again, I just love how it's Metzraim. Like, that's totally that. Anyway, so going through Metzraim will be the three weeks. And, you know, just to go ahead and get into the Parsha, we are in um, Bami Bar. What chapter of Bami Bar are we in? We are in Parsha Shlach, which spans over the chapters 13 through 1541. This is also the Parsha of Zemaiti Hava, who I like to call MC Hammer. Because M, Mighty, C, Hover, Hammer, Mighty Hover's Hammer, you know. 
the Shomer version of Thor. So, shouts out to the Mighty Hover. Mazalto is your parsha. Bezrod Hashem. Uh, I would love to do a podcast with you this year, uh, so that we can, you know, get some, get some gleanings from the hover, you know, gleanings from the hover on Parsha Schlock. How about that? All right, cool. This is the Parsha of the Zeet Zeet. So, uh, yeah. So for why do we wear these strings in our clothes as commonly asked by the nations? Man, are your clothes falling apart? What's those strings hanging out? Are, are, is that a prayer garment? Is that is that like some rosary bead thing or something? Like, what are you doing? Are you trying to be Catholic? You know, and it's like, no. And it's also not a WWJD bracelet either. Even though the WWJD bracelet was kind of close. It's like a person trying to slam dunk a ball. It's like, yeah, you should be trying to slam dunk. But, uh, you know, do it the right way, I guess would be a better way to say it. I don't know. But anyway, um, you know, when I when I first started wearing ZZ, I worked for a church. And crazy enough, no one, including myself, knew what they were. So guess what? Parsha Schlock came around, and I carried around my little NIV Bible. It was a pocket Bible. And I had highlighted. That's right, highlighted. I highlight the Zeet Zeet portion of Parsha Schlock and bookmarked it so that as I was walking around with my fresh set of Zeet Zeet hanging out, you know, like they weren't like, I didn't have super long Zeet Zeet hanging down to the ground. I wasn't standing on the street corners and praying out loud so people can hear me and wearing big to feeling boxes on my head. I didn't do that, but I, it's noticeable when a person has never worn Zeet Zeet and now they are. It's like, dude, never seen you wear those before. What is that? You know, I'm telling you, pastors, lay leaders, uh, congregational friends, you know, uh, they were all asking me. And I was like, oh, yes, yes, look, look, look. I marked it here. It's in the Bible. Did you know that? It's in the Bible. It's like, oh, it's in the Old Testament. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I I see where this is going. You're you're getting under the law. Okay. <laughs> Have a good day. Bless your heart. Okay. We love you. All right. Don't get don't get too crazy. You know you work at like one of the biggest churches in the Metroplex. Okay. All right. Mhm. Yeah. So that totally happened to me. So for those of you who are in that that land, you know, Welcome. We've been expecting you. Have fun. It's awkward, but have fun. Have awkward fun. You know, transitioning into Judaism. Can we just take a minute and talk about that? For people who have grown up New Testament only, okay, maybe Old Testament a little bit. We need to respect it, but we don't do it, which is weird, right? It's like respect the word of God, but we won't uphold it because we can't. And it's like, well, why did God give it to us if we can't do it? Oh, he just wanted us to believe in the Messiah. Just, you know, profess and believe. And then when we profess and believe, then we live however we want to as long as we love people. Because that's the grace message. That's the ABC Salvation Roman Road. Like, all of that, right? Okay, so you grow up with that, you know, mom, dad, uncles, cousins, brothers, daughters, sisters, 
you know, uh, grandsisters and all sorts of stuff like that, right? Grandmothers, great-grandmothers, I'm talking praying people, Bible-toting people, Bible-thumping people, all of the above, you name it, right? Generation to generation, they passed it on. But nobody ever studied the sources, so that's what's wrong. All right, yeah, I got into a little musical moment, sorry. Been working on the mixtape, so I'm three songs in. I'm super excited. Can't wait to share this with y'all. I'm so excited. I picked all of my favorite beats that I've ever heard in my entire life because it's a mixtape. So I get to rap over songs that are already out and have been out on the radio. And now I don't listen to the radio currently, but I do watch dance classes from time to time. And I'm like, what song is that? That has a nice beat. Then I go look the song up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what just happened to my ears? They're bleeding because of the language and the content. But anyway, so I picked 13 songs, kind of picked 14. So now I'm at 14. But anyway, officially 13, I'm going to have an unofficial 14th song. But all that being said, I put, um, I'm calling it Midbar Ace. So there you go. You have the title Midbar Ace, Desert Fire, Desert Heat or desert word anyway however you want to slice that so i'm really excited they're all upbeat they're all dance and i want to show everybody what i used to do i used to dance a lot so i'm working on getting back in shape slowly but surely and i want to do like a dance video or something you know just a little something something a little something something for the something something you know anyway shameless plug-in but music and podcasting is totally about to just collide and I'm just I'm just super excited. Um I just never knew that you know these two worlds were meant to collide and I always thought well I'm going to be a teacher of the word of God but I also love to rap and dance and I don't see how those two things go hand in hand. And it's like have you ever met Shomer man? And it's like oh okay well, that's kind of cool. Anyway, hopefully that's cool to you. But anyway, transitioning into Judaism is so awkward. Okay, you go from, again, you go from this whole mentality and it's like, Rabbi this, Rabbi that, Rabbi so-and-so in the name of Rabbi so-and-so. It's like, why do we deal with all these genealogies? Why do we have to read Rabbi so-and-so? I mean, his name is hard to pronounce. Rabbi Eli, Rabbi uh, Eliezer, Rabbi uh, Reish Lakish, you know, um, Yohanan, and, you know, we got lots of different names. So all of those individuals, may they be blessed, may their memory be blessed. But we got all this going on, and it's like, okay, so why is this so important? Why is genealogy important? Why is the the numbers important you know when you when you take an accounting of the tribes and all that why is that so important why is the historical aspect of the jewish people so important number one it's important for foundation number two it's important because you need to know these were real people who live real lives just like you and i and they're not just characters in a book many people so so many times look at the bible as just a book and to shout out Hawkeyein, that's right, the Shomer version of Hawkeye, so Hawkeyein, Shlita, 
He said, you know, many people calling Yeshua not divine and saying he's just a man is just like calling the Bible a book. Many people, when they actually understand what the Bible is, they understand it's not a book. And really, it's not so much about the Bible as it is as much about the Torah, the Tanakh, to be even more specific, because the Torah, the prophets, and the writings is really what Scripture is. And if we think it's just a book, then we're clearly not understanding what the Tanakh is. Because if it was just a book, it would have been penned by a person and sold on a printing press. But that's not how it worked. Because the Tanakh existed before creation. So, yeah, there's all that to really take into account. Just like Yeshua, he existed before creation. Obviously, we did as well, but he existed before us, and in him we have our existence. So, I mean, you really got to think about that, running that up the ladder. And to Blue Screenville, but you're transitioning into this. There's lots to learn. There's a whole lifestyle change. There's a language change. There's a culture change. There's a mindset psychological change you know we talk about you know from the word from you're like from where and it's like no from like f-r-u-m well guess what when you really try to look at the word from it's, it's a yiddish word which again a lot of yiddish words davening is a yiddish word from is a, a Yiddish word, mensch, that's another Yiddish word, you know, things like that. Uh, but anyway, from is religious, pious, basically chassid. And I want to shout out Ish chassid because uh, because of what he did today. Ish chassid shlita, you know, he's the Shomer version of the uh, Arkham City Batman, right? Okay, because we have like five Batmans because that's how holy we are as Avengers. We cover each one. We got the old school Batman, the Batman, the new darker version of Batman. We got the Arkham City Batman, you know, everything. We got them all. Whatever Batman you want to pull up, we got it. Anyway, um, just one Superman, though. That's cool. Anyway, uh, so, yeah. He goes by Ish Hasid, and uh, he has a co-worker that he's been, you know, sharing insights with. And, you know, he's just like, I'm trying to make sure I don't confuse him and all this kind of stuff. And I found it very, very cool because, you know, with the fallout of Parsha Shlok, you know, this is happening and we're engaging in this conversation. And for some reason, it just make it made me think about. You know, the fact of the giants in the land mentality. Because we're out here in the wilderness. Hashem took us out of Egypt, which, by the way, no person ever left Egypt, really. If you if you came to Egypt and you settled there and you were like under Pharaoh and stuff, you didn't just willy nilly just get up and walk out and leave. Like if you left, it was for a reason. Sometimes it was maybe because they killed you and that's why you don't live in Egypt anymore. Or uh, you tried to escape and the dogs got you. 
So there's a whole midrash about these talking dogs that have sorcery in their mouth and they they uh, mesmerize people and say, no, don't leave the land. You don't know what's out there. You have it great here. You know, sounds like a movie or something, right? But anyway, so that that's the reality. And Hashem rolled up in there and took out a nation. This is why I love our Ma'ariv Bracha, right? So in our Ma'ariv prayer, our, our nighttime prayer in our Sudur, here, let me go to it. After we do the Shema, and we're ready for the Mashiach to return, did you know if you follow the prayer services that you're always ready for the Messiah's return? We do the Shema every morning or every night when we retire and every morning when we arise and then uh we do the shimona yesterday and uh even during minka when we do the elenu and all that every single prayer service that you conclude you're ready for the redemption so if you're staying in your sador and you're doing the prayers literally no man knows the day or the hour like you're ready to go so anyway i just want to point that out but anyway, we say this in the Ma'ariv service about Hashem taking us a nation out of Egypt. This is in the prayer called the Ve'emuna prayer, which is the equivalent of the Shakarit, the morning prayer, Ve'yatziv, which is where we say sure and establish correct fitting affirmation like that whole big thing that we go into Hashem's throne is well established yeah okay so in the nighttime we say and faithful is all this like it is sure like it is going to occur so in the middle of that it says this who performs great deeds that are beyond comprehension and wonders beyond number who set our soul in life and did not allow our foot to falter, who led us upon the heights of our enemies and raised our pride above all who hate us, who perform miracles and vengeance upon Paro, signs and wonders on the land of the offspring of Ham, who struck with his anger all the firstborn of Mitzrayim Here's the phrase, and removed his nation. Say that with me. And removed his nation, Yisrael, from their midst to eternal freedom. So Hashem didn't just take out one person. He took out a whole nation. And the word for freedom there is is you guessed it the same word is the engravings on the tablets remember it said that the sapphire tablets were engraved with the words of the commandments well the same word for engraved is the same word for freedom so he took us out to an eternal engraving so in other words he gave us the eternal law eternal torah he brought us to the Torah. Now get that, right? He brought us to the Torah, which was salvation. 
Many people think salvation today is getting away from the Torah. But the only problem with that is before said person received salvation, they weren't even aware, knew about, nor were they doing the Torah. So how can you be saved or granted salvation from something you weren't doing, but yet it was apparently this thing that was hanging over you and oppressing you? It's like, oh, I was I was living a life of Sukkot. <coughs> Man, I'm allergic to that. I'm so allergic to lies and falsehood. That's why my name's Met. Anyway, I had a sneeze, so sleek off. But yeah, anyway, so <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, yeah, I was keeping Sukkot and it was just so hard and I couldn't do it and I just needed to be saved. So I just believed in the name of JC and I cried out to him and I got baptized and now I'm all good. I'm all saved and all seriously not doing the Torah, which is eternal, apparently. But anyway, it's crazy. Um, so the the other part that I want to conclude with about what uh, Ish Hasid has connected me with his coworker, the the guy is like, man, this stuff all sounds like a movie, and I'm like, yes, this is it. It's a movie. I get it. And I thought about it for a second because I'm like, we got Avengers, we got like all these things going on. And if you read the Torah and the Midrash, especially, there's all these things going on. I don't know, like water parting to let people come through it, bringing up dry land in the midst of the sea, um, just like Hashem brought up dry land in the midst of the waters. And, you know, Genesis 1 stuff. I don't know why we're so surprised. It's like Genesis 1, Exodus 14. Okay, so... If it happened over here, it can it can obviously happen over there. Which, by the way, it's going to happen again when Mashiach returns to bring us back to Israel. Because how in the world are people on the other side of the world going to get to Israel if they have to go across the ocean? Obviously, clouds of glory, pillars of fire. But I'm sure there's going to be some uh, sea travel. Anyway, just want to point that out. So, yeah, I'm telling talking to him and he's just like this stuff seems like a movie and i concluded the conversation tonight with uh saying hey you can't simplify this stuff there's so much to really say because he's asking about yeshua and i'm like yeah and he's like oh i thought i i know of this person named joshua is that is that the same i'm like yes yeshua translates to joshua if you want to translate it to english he's just like wait what so what did this Yeshua guy do? Because Joshua led the people into the promised land. And I'm like, yeah, that's what Yeshua is going to do in time to come. We're Right now we're quote unquote in the wilderness. And I'm like, going through all this stuff. And I'm like, listen, just, you know, we'll try to answer your questions to the best of our ability. We have 3,000 years of liturgy or uh, literature to, to delve into. So obviously it's going to take some time. <laughs> And it's in Hebrew, so like a lot of us don't know Hebrew, myself included. We're we're learning, we're trying, we're getting there. The segol, it's a vowel point. I got it. Okay, but anyway, I say you know what? Here's the deal. Lapid Judaism, Rabbi does a daily teaching. If you if you just follow the Aliyah day, literally, just follow the Aliyah day, just stick with it. 
you're going to get so many questions answered that it's going to be ridiculous. And just, we're going to keep going through the tour portions. We're going to keep going through the tour portions until Mashiach gets back. And then we're going to really go through the, we're going to, we're going to be the tour portion when he gets back. But anyway, so all of this going on is I said, listen, here you go. This channel, just tune in. You're not going to believe it. Okay. And I said, watch this video. This is a minute and 22 seconds from the first Avengers movie. And it's the bet that Nick Fury makes with Captain America. And he's like, 10 bucks says you won't believe what you're about to find out and what you're about to witness. And Captain America's like, Psh, I doubt that. And then it it uh, fast forwards over to the scene where Captain America couldn't believe it and gives Nick Fury 10 bucks. And I said, so yeah, he's just like, seriously, you and all these movie references. And I'm like, dude, I don't know how else to explain it. Did anybody listen to the Alia Day for the second reading of Beha Aloteca for 5780 this year? Like, right? At the beginning of that, like, Rabbi Griffin Shlita goes into this whole thing about, you know, we were praying for property for Sar Shalom. And Hashem was like, yeah, and the property is going to have a well on it, like a water well. And then began he began to lay out everything and go through the history of us going from place to place and all that, and said, "Yeah, we so we got this mikvah and it's on a well, you know, which is property of Sar Shalom." And it's just like, what? Seriously, you know, we got people who are not supposed to be pregnant and they're pregnant, you know, people who didn't think they were going to get married, they're married, you know, um, everything is just. You're just like, seriously, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. And it's like, yeah, miracles, movies. Okay. You know, uh, and again, I, I brought up to one person. Uh, actually, I was talking to Chazak Navon, which is uh, Mr. Walk by Faith and Not by Sight. Uh, yeah, that's right. Our Shomer version of Daredevil. So Chazak Navon Shlita was talking to him. And I was like, you know. One of the craziest things when I when I gave you your character name, you were like, "Hey, is is Navone like is this this word you're talking about?" I was like, "Yeah, Navone is is a derivative of Bina," and he said, "Yeah, because that's totally a martial arts that I'm familiar with." So like, do you know about this? And I'm like, "No, I did not, sir. No, I did not. Thank you very much for pointing that out. That's ridiculous. You need to get some help." Which his response is like, well, you need to get some help. How are you going to give me a name that's a martial arts form that just so happens to be Israeli that I like? I'm like, I'm into martial arts. And I'm like, I'm done talking to you right now. That's that's crazy. <laughs> but anyway, I was talking to him because the really like, obviously, Captain Israel is crazy because Rabbi, I mean, seriously, Rabbi is just like, he's totally Captain America. But Captain Israel, right? I mean, the way the the sassing and all that kind of stuff and the throwing the shield and the hammer and just the, you know, just, I don't know, just top to bottom. It's just, it's Captain America. It's just like, yeah, obviously that's that guy. But it's so funny to me. Our Groot Avenger, Shoresh Shlita, so I'm like, yeah, so you're Groot, apparently, and that's cool. And the guy plants trees, and I'm like, stop. 
just stop. I'm I'm out. I'm I'm just like wow. I'm not out. I'm totally in, but I'm just saying like is that not crazy? Is that not just like it sounds like it's from a movie like oh, Groot's a tree planter. Oh, that's that's cute. Okay, anyway. So yeah, that's that's about it for transitioning into Judaism. That's what you need to be aware of. That it's just you can't quantify it. It's crazy. It's awkward. It's amazing. It's mind blowing. It's blue screen. It's too much information. It's which way is up? Which way did he go? That's what it's like. So, with that being the case, you can't be upset for feeling like you are not uh, keeping up the pace. You can't be upset for feeling like I should be doing better than I'm currently doing. You can't be upset for saying, you know, I can't believe that person over there. They've been here for two years and I still can't believe they don't know how to say Shalom Alechem and Alechem Shalom. Like, what's wrong with them? everybody has their thing okay we all specialize in like different areas and again think about the insights about the ketorit the incense of the golden altar think about the insights of the lulav think about the insights of the pomegranates just look these things up in in torah and you'll find out slika about the the nation of israel we're not on the same level at all. There's great ones. There's wicked ones. There's lesser ones. I mean, we're all over the board, but we make a complete unified whole. All of us are Hashem Eloheinu Hashem Echad. Like, we're Shema people. So, at the end of the day, however we fall out in the in the tapestry of the nation of Israel... We have to understand that, that, you know, we have to find our place with Hashem. And that's why I brought up the, the teaching I did on this past Shabbat about being a letter of the Torah. Like some letters aren't next to each other. Some letters are big. Some letters are small. Some letters are missing as Totak, one of our other Chavengers, Slita, uh, he wanted to bring out. And I'm like, yeah, that, that you can't do that to people because those letters are always about Mashiach, namely Yodes and Vobs. And he's like, well, I guess you're right. And I'm like, yeah, so that that's a drosh for another time. Why why we got to go like all the way up to 11 real quick? Can we just start off at 5? Maybe turn it up to 7? He's like, no, we should just turn it to 11. Like, what are we doing? We got, we got volume knobs. Let's use them. I'm like, that's why you're toe talk. Yeah, Toad Talk, by the way, is a cannonball from the X-Men comics. Look up Cannonball. He's a legit character. Ridiculous. And every time Toad Talk always shares an insight with me, I'm like, why you got to match your character so much? And he's like, well, you named me. And I'm like, I guess I did. This is my fault. Security breach. It's on me. Okay, I get it. Blame Shomer, man. Anyway, so... Yeah, so transition is crazy. There's so much to learn. And I just love the fact that, you know, we're pretty much like a movie. I sent him, uh, the guy that I'm talking about, I sent him a a gif of, uh, this is the Twilight Zone. (laughs) I said, I'm half kidding about that. And he he just laughed. And I'm like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Mountain's talking to Moses saying, hey, we can't pray for you right now because we got our own prayers. 
Come on, man. How are you just going to throw that source out at people like that? Anyway, more to come, more to come. Even in this very, very podcast that I've been trying to get off to a good start, but I mean, there's just so much. So where do I want to start? I want to start with my story from uh, what I shared from Torah Daily. You know, I'm really, really excited that I uh, started following this Instagram account. So they were doing some Musar drops from uh, Tomer Devora, Palm Tree of Deborah. And this one is just kind of like, wow. And then I want to connect this to Sefer Yetzirah. Which, by the way, I'm not really going to say I'm studying that. But Dr. Sakal Shlita uh, gifted me with that. And I am looking through it. I'm using it as a reference book right now. And I can barely read a paragraph. Because everything just kind of fires off. Like what I'm about to share right now. So... Who knows how much of Sephiroth at Zero I'll actually get to do, but I will be glad of the parts I do get to get through because it's just awesome. Okay, so based off the Tomera Devora, it says, this is again, this is from Torah Daily on Instagram. Check them out. They're legit. It says, can there be anything more valuable and more gratifying than knowing the secret of how to be pleasant to Hashem, which I love, by the way, because we do have Drax. We have a Drax Avenger, and his Shomer name is Rayak Nikoak. So, shouts out to Rayak Nikoak, Shlita. Uh, Rayak Nikoak, by the way, translates into English as a fragrant aroma, or as we are reading right now, pleasant aroma to Hashem. So, isn't that amazing? But anyway, so. Good old Drax. Anyway, we have, uh, it says, in a genuinely delicious lesson, which, by the way, did you know that there are hyphens in some of the uh, Humashes and Tanakhs of the Hebrew text? Like, there's dashes between words. Well, lo and behold, grammatical rules on that is you want to say those words and literally one taste that's the definition when you see the dash in your words in your humash or in your tanakh in the hebrew text you're to say that whole word at once it says that it's called in one taste meaning in one breath so the word for one breath is also taste in hebrew this is, again, one of the things when I'm talking about, the psychological, the mentality, the culture, the way of thinking when you get into Judaism. Well, normally you think, oh, yeah, grammatical rules. You say this word is in syllables and da-da-da-da. It's like, no, you say this in one taste because we realize that words are, they have substance and the whole taste and see that Hashem is good is really about speaking the words of Torah, reciting them, praying them, you know, and things like that. So, we're literally eating what we're speaking. 
which is just amazing to me, you know. So hence why kosher food and kosher words are always brought up together. There was one of the table sparks that Rabbi Griffin did. And it was on the beggar Messiah from the tales of the Hasidim. And it was talking about this story where these Jews were together and they were talking and they were all like, you know, looking at the, uh, the kashrutness of the, whatever food that they were inspecting and getting ready to eat. And there was a guy in the back smoking a pipe and obviously it was a manifestation of the Mashiach. And he said, hmm, so focused on what come, what's going in, but not focused on what's coming out of your mouth, which obviously relates to Mark 7. So, you know, again, words and taste, how we speak, how we act, you know, they're intricately connected. Hence why eating kosher is a thing. Chances are if you're eating kosher, it's only a matter of time before you're speaking and acting kosher. Because your speaking and acting kosher is directly correlated to how you're eating. Did you know that? Um, one of our former shul members, him and I used to talk a lot. And, you know, we were going through our struggles and stuff together. I'm like, yeah, and, you know, and I'm realizing that it, the more sugar that we eat, you know, it, it really lowers our uh, resistance to, like, lustful passion stuff. So if you're if you're really big on eating sugar, like that that spikes up your your drives or whatever and though in that area of whether it's the thoughts or acts or whatever, uh, not to really get too much into that, but but yeah, so we were talking about how, you know, cutting down on sugar, we're actually able to like be a little bit more uh on top of our game in that area. So that was a thing back in the past that we uh, talked about, and it was some kind of way we found out scientifically that's actually legit. But, uh, again, that was something a while back, so I don't remember. So as as far as the PSI goes on that, please source it. Don't have that information. So, But I wanted to bring that up because, again, I'm just talking about what we eat is actually directly related to how we act and how we talk. So... Uh, meat, by the way, I'm a very, very big fan of sugar. So, um, and obviously I don't really eat sugar a lot, but you know, again, it's just kind of one of those things where, you know, it's, it's the, because I eat that way, I notice the way I act, you know, and I'm like, you know, most people not tooting my own horn, but just a little, you know, that most people say I'm sweet, you know? My coworkers are like, oh, yeah, Matt's a sweet guy. You're a sweet dude, man. Like, all right, cool. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, guys. Don't Let's not talk. Let's talk about Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about uh, chickens. Yeah, chickens. Chickens are cool. Anyway, but, yeah, it, it, it totally plays into how you act and, and on so many different levels. And, you know, uh, yeah, so that's all I'm going to say about that. So, anyway, back to pleasing aroma, though. So, in a delicious lesson, Rabbi Hanina Bendosa reveals the prestige of being pleasant to Hashem is attained by being pleasant to our fellow man. It is beautiful to reflect on the idea that Hashem chose the attribute of man 
being pleasant to his fellow as the criteria for man to be pleasant to Hashem. Obviously, this is the two greatest commandments right here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your resources, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, which are really one commandment. Because why? If you're really pleasant to your man, your fellow man, you're pleasant to Hashem. I love that. But the second part of this is even more crazy. The more we are aware of the secret of being pleasant to Hashem, the more we will be inspired to be pleasant to others. Yet, to be considered pleasant to others is not quite as easy as it sounds. Earning the status of being pleasant to others requires persistence, perseverance. In the sensitive realm of interpersonal relationships, even one display of insensitivity can compromise one's status as a pleasant person. You only get one shot sometimes. You're like, man, I'm sorry I messed up. It's like, well, I'm sorry. I, I, I do not forgive you right now. Maybe I forgive you, but I haven't forgotten this. Or maybe I forgive and I forget. But uh, fellowship is broken right now. And it may be broken for a long time. It may get restored or it may not get restored. Sometimes it literally is that that drastic. But anyway, it says that therefore to enjoy the honor of being pleasant to others, we need to be consistently pleasing to every person in every situation. Again, that's Torah daily, bringing down some ridiculousness. So I love that. Here's the Sefri at zero drop. This is on page 12. Because that's, that's how far I've kind of gotten into the book. Not really. But I just opened this page up. Let's see here. I'm going to turn my screen. All right, here we go. All right, so it says on page 12, Wisdom, Chokmah, is a level above all division, where everything is a simple unity. It is in recognition of this that the Talmud states, who is wise, which is Chakam, who is wise. He who learns from every man. It is on the level of wisdom that all men are one. Hence, if one is on this level, he must learn from every human being and indeed from all creation. According to the Baal Shem Tov, this means that a person on the level of wisdom must even learn from evil. It is only on levels below wisdom that people are separated into different individuals on lower levels. Does the division between good and evil exist? Only on lower levels does the division between good and evil exist. This is why saying Gamzu Le Tova Eno Milvado is a thing and really meaning it because we're bringing ourselves into wisdom where even in the bad times we're able to see the what Hashem is doing and the reason why this is good for us, you know, even if it's bad. 
And again, I go back to the Eitz Hadat uh, podcast that I put out a while, a long while back. Uh, but eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I did a whole drop on that. That we basically have our little drama with good and evil because we brought it on ourselves. Had we not eaten from that tree, we wouldn't be able, or we would not be in the current status of, oh, that's so horrible, or yes, this is so good, because sometimes good things aren't actually good for us. You know, we think, oh, this is good, and it's like, actually, no, it's not. You know, or we think, oh, this is evil, this is bad, I wish this didn't happen, and it's actually like, no, actually, it's good that that happened. You know, when I got spankings as a child i thought that was evil i thought my parents were just horrible evil people when i was like you're not my mom you're not my dad i don't want to talk to you i don't even love you and it's like oh you can't take those words back young man you know but you felt that way and it was just like no your parents were doing a really really good thing for you it just it it was it didn't feel good you know but it was good. And you're like, oh. So growing up hindsight, you're just like, I'm sorry I said you weren't my mom or my dad and I didn't love you. And I'm sorry I said I hated you and all that. You know, so you ha- have those moments. But anyway, so that's just, just like something to be mindful of. Okay. So I'm just trying to really decide how to navigate all this stuff. Okay, so over, where do I want to go? I don't know. I'm in what's called Lakute Torah and Lakute Sukkot. And this is all Hasidic thought on Parsha Shlach. Parsha Shlach is also called Shlach Lecha. And the word meraglaim uh, is typically called uh, the spies. So, if you look in the uh, the Torah for the word for spies, you'll see that actually spies occurs quite a bit. You know, uh, so number one, obviously you got Yosef calling his brothers that. Uh, and that is in Bereshit forty-two thirty-four, and he calls them spies. He uses the word meraglaim. Okay, so meraglaim appears nine different times throughout the Tanakh. Uh, but the meraglaim are not identified as meraglaim. Nowhere in our parsha. So this is interesting, right? Because the nine occurrences of Meraglaim, uh, yeah, it it only mentions the Haftarah. So in the Haftarah portion of Parsha Shlach, the whole story of Rechav. Which, by the way, if you have listened to the Haftarah GYS portions, that was a, a fun thing to do with one of our former Avengers. So, lots of good drops in there. If you want to go back in the uh, the Chronicles and get you some for that. Uh, but yeah, so there's a whole lot on Rechav. And 
Um, there's even a drop. I don't know if we put it in the Hoftura uh, podcast or not, but that um, Pinchas and and Kalev, Caleb, were the two spies that Yehoshua was sent. And there's a whole thing about how um, Kalev and Yehoshua are like the same, basically, kind of looking at them like the two Mashiachs, like a Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David how they're both two distinct characters, but they have a lot of similarities. And it's like, oh, type and shadow. Okay, I get it. But anyway, uh, but Pinchas uh, did not have to be hidden by Rahab. He just disappeared. And um, our Spider-Man Avenger, the amazing Chazan, Shlita, uh, was looking at that word for disappear, and it's literally Zaphon, which breaks into two words, Saudi pan, which is face. So when you put a Saudi with face, and we, we made a kind of a joke, but like the amazing Hazan, when he shoots out webs, he shoots out the letter Saudi. So it's like a Saudi to the face, which causes a disappearing act, you know? So it's just, I don't know. We just, we joke around, you know, I shoot Mims out of my repulsors. He shoots Saudis and Cap, I don't know what he throws. He probably throws cops or something, or maybe he throws Mims as well. We don't know. But anyway, at one point we were trying to think about what letters each of our characters would be associated with. I chose Mim, obviously. Mim is like my probably my most favorite letter because it has to do with Mashiach, obviously. But anyway, so the Saudi and all that kind of stuff. So we used to make these little uh, memes of Spider-Man shooting a Saudi. Like instead of a web, it's a Saudi coming out of his web shooter. And it's like, oh, disappear. You know, Saudi to the face. Because, you know, Spider-Man webs people in the face. And it's just like, ah, I can't see. It's like, because you're, it's like, like Spider-Man disappears to them. To them. But anyway, just a little drop there on Pincus. He disappeared instead of he got hidden by Rahav. Caleb had to hide. Pincus disappeared. Okay. So, anyway, I brought that up because Miraglaim appears there. So, there are many different ways that the word uh, Raglaim can be uh, spelled. You know, because the root of Raglaim is Ragel, which is literally the word used for feet. So when we say Yadayim ve Raglaim, like hands and feet, and uh, the pilgrimage festivals, uh, Pesach, Shabbat, Sukkot, those are called Raglaim, feet festivals. Because why we go, we use our feet and we travel to Yerushalayim. Sweet home, Yerushalayim. I'm on my way home to you. Okay, anyway. Obviously, it's officially mixtape season. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. That is crazy. That in Parsha Shalak, we know these 12 people that are sent into the land as Raglaim. But they're not. They're not spies. So where does that come from? Well, it comes from the passage in Devarim chapter 1. So, Devarim chapter 1, they're known as spies. 
And it's just kind of like, wow, so what are they called in the Parsha? Well, in the Parsha, they're actually called Turim. Okay, uh, so let's see. Twelve men. They send twelve men into the land. Let's see if I can go directly to that verse. To that verse, to that verse, to that verse, verse, verse. Uh, there we go, chapter 13. Boom. Send them into the land. Uh, yeah, it's actually the second verse of our parasha, Slika. Okay. So, they are called Turim, okay, which is from the word Tur, and that's right, the root of Yitro, the root of Root, which is Ruth. If you spell Tur backwards, it's the word Ruth, okay, Root. Root is the Hebrew way to say Ruth. So we have a Yitro and a Ruth drop, which is all connected to Shavuot, connected to converts, connected to the giving of the Torah. So they're supposed to go and tour the land, which is interesting because tour in English means like tour. Like, you know, we're going to go check it out. We're going to go look at things, you know. But the Hebrew says it's to seek out like a guide. And, um, let's see here. The Ark. Remember the Vaivin Soaron, Vaiomer Moshe, Kumaronai. Remember that one? Yeah. So that was about the Ark that Moses made that had the broken tablets that went three days journey ahead of us to tour the wilderness for a camping site for us in the middle of that three-day excursion that tour that uh streams of fire came out of the ark and leveled the high places raised up the low places and cleared out snakes and scorpions so that way everything was all nice and pretty and ready for us to camp so tour has that connotation of the ark that went out ahead of us that's the first use of the word tour Specifically, Latour in Bamibar chapter 10, verse 33. So the spies were supposed to be like the ark. There were 12 of them. Let me stop using the word spies. The 12 individuals that were sent. Oh, Shliakim. Wow. Okay. The 12 sent ones. They're called Shliakim, which is the English word apostles. So the 12 in our parsha lockdown are literally apostles. They're sent out on a mission. And they're supposed to be doing what the ark did. Seeking out a resting place for the children of Israel. But they deviated from that. And what was supposed to be a tour became a ragel. And led everyone to rebel. And then we became what's called mapilim. Which is a whole nother word that was about, you know, Hashem said, you got to stay in the wilderness now. We're not going to go into the land. Uh, and we we're like, nah, we're we ready to go into the land. Let's do this. And we ascended the mountain. And what did we do? 
we got it handed to us. <laughs> so we were like, okay, yeah, I guess we'll stay in the wilderness because we can't do that. Anyway, so uh, disenfranchised, uh, rebellious ones are called Mopilene. So we went from being children of Israel, sending out apostles. Apostles came back. They had a completely different gospel, turned everybody lawless. And then it was like, well, fine. Now that we don't have the law, let's go take the land. And Hashem's like, nope. That's right. I said all of that last information. I said that on purpose because literally we were like people without the law. So to think about in our current days society where we look at the apostles, there's a big religion out there. Lots of theology that say the apostles like they teach us not to follow the law. And therefore, we can now go to heaven by not following the law. And, you know, when the Messiah returns, it's going to be cool because we're not following the law and he'll get us to follow the law in the in the future, you know, in the afterlife. And it's like if he's going to have us following the law in the afterlife, namely going to the temple and doing sacrifices and stuff, living in Israel. This is all in Ezekiel, by the way. But uh, yeah, so if that's going to be the case, then why don't we have the law now? And again, we just read about the law being eternal. Like, what was that? You know, like if if the law was like something that we never needed, then why ever go to Mount Sinai? Why ever leave Egypt? Why ever go into Israel for crying out loud? Anyway, so, yeah, don't mistake what the apostles did. Don't call them spies, because technically we should be calling the apostles spies if they told us to chasve shalom, not do the Torah. But they're not they are apostles. They are shliakim. They're sent ones. So anyway, I uh, just want to point out that the the job of these 12 people were supposed to be, let's go seek out a resting place. Where was that? Uh, that the, the, uh, the 12 men, they go through the land and they elevate it. Um, wow. So many different sources. Let's see here. Um, hmm. Let's try this. Lakute Sakot. Is it in here? Hmm. Okay, let's go to the Kute Torah. Is it in here? I apologize, but I'm looking basically for the source that talks about that as the, the Shliakim, as they went into the land, that each of them elevated it by going through it. So... Oh, goodness. Don't you just love when you're supposed to source stuff out and you can't source stuff out? But I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Thank you for your patience, everyone. Patience is a virtue. Okay. I'm looking in the Kehurt Humash right now. Come on! All right. That's where it is in the Kehurt. It's literally verse 2 of the Parsha. It says... 
the land of Israel is divided into 12 portions corresponding to the 12 tribes. Each tribe's territory is particularly suited to its unique spiritual path within the overall path of the Torah. Okay? That's from the Sifrei on Ekev 11.10. Going on to say, And through the efforts of the twelve tribes in elevating the twelve parts of the land of Israel, the entire world is elevated since the land of Israel is a microcosm of the world. That's from Sifrei Ekev. Again. So, when the tribes, or the, when these 12 individuals went, as the leaders of each tribe, they were able to basically represent each tribe going through their portion of the land and elevating it. So that just by the one of them, which represented their whole tribe, they elevated the 12 parts of the land of Israel, which elevated the world. So just like the ark elevated the campsite before we got to it, the same way the spies were supposed to do before we got into the land. But that didn't happen. So there's that drop. Uh, and then we got the reason why they didn't do that. Let's see here. This was from one of my drops uh, or one of my sources. So the... Basically, this is saying that the uh, the Shliakim didn't want to have everybody go into the land because the secrets of creation would be accessed, and they wouldn't uh, they would become redundant uh, in their sojourn. Basically. Uh, Man, where is this? It's in here. I know it is. I only read a few things. I only read a few things. Stand by. I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in a way put this in a better way. So because I know that probably sounded weird to the ear. There it is. G Shekel. Alright, G Shekel, told our ba. Okay. G Shekel brings down we know that the men who were sent to spy out the land of Canaan were not just the heads of the tribes. They were righteous souls or Moshe would not have sent them. So why did they tell lies about the land in their reports to Moshe? Which, by the way, just as a side note, uh, Yosef did the same thing about his brothers. Yosef gave these bad reports to his father about what the brothers were doing. Well, uh, flip side, you reap what you sow, right? Now, the brothers are telling bad reports about, quote-unquote, Yosef, i.e. the Messiah. They're like, oh, yeah, J.C. Penny, or uh, they give him other derogatory names. Yeshu is one of them. But that's the same as calling him Jesus, so... I mean, they're both, everybody's saying the same thing. Anyway, but they, they give bad reports about him. He was a sorcerer. He's not divine. Da, 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 da. Bad reports are still going out about him. But in the beginning, Yosef was giving bad reports about the brothers. So 
if you ever feel like, well, I'm on the peed, I'm following Mashiach Yeshua, and people, you know, think I'm not legitimate, you know, they basically do exactly what the the twelve Shliakim here did. Uh well, yeah, welcome to the party. We've been expecting you. That's totally the MO. Mashiach says they're gonna hate you for my namesake. Uh we're outside the camp. Mashiach sits at the gates of Rome. That's the Talmud brings that down. So why should we be surprised? It's like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to be accepted by a Yiddishkeit. It's like, did Yiddishkeit really look upon lepers as highly esteemed individuals of the society? Or were they not outside the camp? Because I'm just asking. And especially if you're a convert, because converts are considered leprous on the skin of Jews. Did you know that? Uh, let's see here. Proselytes. Uh, let's see here. How do I find this? Is it leprosy on the skin? It's one of these. All right. So at least I can pull up on um, the guide to the perplexed. Uh, but it goes on to say that converts are as difficult for Jews as leprosy. Yeah, there it is. Converts were not desirable to them. And they said converts are as difficult for Israel as leprosy so there you go that's from perplexed of the generation chapter 14 uh this is from the author rabbi or uh the author abraham yitzhak hakohen cook okay so yeah so that's where that is so converts are considered leprous Maybe I can look it up this way and find it better. There we go. Yevamot 13.1 from the Ain Yaakov and Kiddushin 4.7 from the Ain Yaakov. That proselytes are as bad to Israel as a sore on the skin. Namely, leprosy. So anyway, and where do those people sit? Outside the camp. Where's the gates of Rome? Outside of Israel. So a lot of people want to make Aliyah if they convert in Mashiach. And it's like, no, you're not allowed to. I don't see why you believe in Mashiach. Your conversion is not valid. That literally is totally still a thing. Um, one of our shul members was saying that, you know, they were like, yeah, you know, I've I want to, I want to come home, you know, I'm a convert and you know, I had a, a halakhic Orthodox conversion. I'm believing Yeshua. I'm Jewish. So I want to come home. How do I do that? And it's like, if you've converted and you believe in Yeshua, your conversion is not valid. 
So, yeah, we, you need to fix that. But, yeah, you can totally convert and come home. Insinuating, implying, and inferring. If you con- if you convert while believing in Yeshua, it's not considered valid. Well, guess what? The only people who have that mentality, well, maybe not the only ones, mostly people who have that mentality are not being truthful to the Torah. I wanted to say idolaters, but, you know, that would be Lashon Hara because most of the people over in Israel are literally Torah observant, or 10% of them are Torah observant. So, and the fact to be talking about conversion and making Aliyah and all that kind of stuff, I mean, that's not idolatry. So, anyway, but here's here's this, though. The people who tell you don't convert, don't follow the law, the law is a burden. Who tells you that? Who talks like that? Idolaters. Okay, but anyway, back to G-Shekel, though. So why did Moshe, or why did they tell lies about the the land? Why did the twelve people, the ten, because the two of the twelve were Caleb and Yehoshua, they ain't talk like that. They're like, we can take the land. There's literally a source, and I'll I'll see if I can pull this one up, that says that if Moshe told us to build ladders and fortify them to the heavens, we could climb them and go to heaven. Yeah, that's totally a thing. Of course, who said that? Caleb. So, Caleb is like a get you some for sure. Anyway, but it goes on to say, both the Zohar and the Midrash explain that the spies were afraid of what would come and everyone would know the secrets of creation causing them to lose their power as the heads of their tribes since they would then be redundant. So, yeah, we don't want people knowing the secrets of creation. So y'all need to stay out here and we need to keep leading the tribes. So if you're in a leadership role and you're really, really insecure about your spot, You know, you kind of have to take a step back for a second. My last podcast, I was saying wherever role you're, you're in currently, Hashem put you there. Like you're anointed for that spot. Hashem is, is moving and orchestrating people, moving us around, you know, Bezrat Hashem, we're being diligent to our obligations, but we have to remember at the end of the day, Ain't no Milvado. We have to we have to follow Hashem. If he's leading us somewhere, if he's put us somewhere, we need to hold that post down until it's time to transition. There's gonna come a day where there needs to be a new goodbye, a new Hazan, a new rabbi. Bezrat Hashem Mashiach's back first, but you know, if he tarries, that's gonna have to happen. There's gonna be there's gonna need to be a spot. Someone takes over for Keturah. Someone takes over for sound, video, you know, all that kind of stuff. We need, we're going to have to have that transition. And guess what? Those people are being groomed and prepared right now. So we have to remember that. And we, we would be remiss for the people who are currently in each of these roles that I just mentioned. And again, there are way more roles than that, but that's just naming a few 
that we would be remiss if we wanted to just hold this role to ourselves and be like, no, no one else can have it. It is ours. And we just no. this is how we do it. Well, that's, that's the mentality of the 10. Okay. Here's, here's point number one on slaying giants. So the reports is that there's giants in the land. We can't take them. By the way, the word for giants is Nephilim. Uh, there's so much on the Gematria, but one of them is, uh, that Nephilim and Nephil is both related to Cohen and Kohanim. Okay. Nephil is related to Cohen, Nephilim related to Kohanim. So you have this idea of the Kohanim versus the giants. And remember, we're called a Malkut Kohanim, a kingdom of priests, insinuating, implying, and refers that the Kohen is equal to the giant. The Kohanim are equal to the giants. So if we're truly a Malkut Kohanim, we can fight giants. But anyway, that's just on a Gematria tip. Just want to throw that out there because I don't know if we're going to get time to go through everything because I'm rambling and sourcing stuff over here and over there and everywhere. But the the mentality of the 10 is that, you know what, we need to make up excuses for why we need to keep our roles. We need to make up excuses for why nothing needs to change and we need to stay like we are. Don't don't deal with progress. Don't deal with maturity. Don't deal with growing. Don't deal with moving forward where Hashem is taking us. Let's just stay put. Let's not get too crazy. Let's not make things awkward. I mean, if you think about it, it's the mentality of a person that finds out about Torah and they're told, nah, but you can't go into Torah, though. Just stay where you are, man. Just just be a Gentile. Be a Noahide. You know, like you don't need to get into Torah. That's the mentality. A giant, a giant in the land mentality. Nephilim, by the way, means fallen ones. They're literally the offspring of the angels that descended from heaven and thought that they could live better lives as human beings than we could. And they ended up uh, procreating with the daughters of men, which were namely the descendants of uh, Cain. So Cain's descendants were everywhere. Pirkei Rebbe brings down uh yeah, cover your ears on this one. This is crazy that these individuals walked around naked. So you got a bunch of naked women walking around. I know. Why should today be any different? Because today we got a lot of naked women walking around. But anyway, not trying to throw shade on people, but they probably do need some shade. Cover yourself up, people. What are you doing? Quit acting like a descendant of Cain. Anyway, but they're walking around like that. And these people are like, oh, my gosh, this is this is humans. Okay. You know, and they let their yetzers get the best of them and they procreated with them. Their children became giants, the Titans and all that kind of stuff you read from mythology. It came from somewhere. Right. So anyway, uh, these individuals are what's known as the Nephilim. So after the flood, there were uh, another resurgence of Nephilim. And those are the ones that took over the land while we were in Egypt. Sikhon and Og are two of them. And then you have the other individuals that are brought up uh, in the Parsha. Let me get their names for you here. Uh, go back. 
and my little search. Guess I'll do it this way. Let's see, because you know uh, they had the the giants and Gath, you know Goliath and his brothers, so that that was a thing during David's time. Uh, let's see. Nephilim there, uh, descendants of Anak from the Nephilim. It's chapter 13 of Bami Bar and verse 33 says we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then we have King Og, because Og survived the flood, by the way, he was on the ark. Uh, they made a special little plank for him. Medrar says brings this down. Uh, and so obviously when he procreated with people, he made more giants after the flood. So Og king of the Bashan was the last of the Rephaites. So that's in Devarim chapter three, verse 11. Uh, these other individuals though, that I'm thinking of, they have a weird name. One is like Shem, Chazai. Got to find the English of it, though. Hmm. Hang on for a second. Yeah, Sham Chazai and Aza. There we go. Cool. So yeah, where are they at? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, I can just go back over here in my Bible Hub. There it is. A Z Z A. Let's just get this one. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Side note, while we're waiting, uh, one of the things here is that um, in the findings about these 12 cent ones, that there is discrepancy between these 10 these 12 individuals being righteous versus being wicked which is kind of a first for me because 
It was like, yeah, obviously they're Zadikim because they're the heads of their tribes and Moshe chose them. And it's just kind of like, oh, that's what it is. Sham, Kazai, and Azza are not specifically mentioned in the written Torah. They're mentioned in the uh, the oral Torah. That's That's why I can't find them. Anyway, so I was going to try to see the verse of uh, them here. But anyway, back to my point. I was thinking of uh, Nadav and Avihu uh, from the aspect of how much discrepancy there is, whether they're righteous or not. And I believe that was from Lakute Torah. So let me see here. Go on my little little page here. Yeah, furthermore, how can the verse call these people righteous? So, yeah, they bring up a whole drop on, well, were they righteous or were they evil? And the proof of the righteousness of the Meraglaim, even at the time of their sin. So this is Lakute Sikha. I'm going to read this real quick and I'm going to go back where I was going before all the silence and stuff. The fact that the Meraglaim were truly Zadakim throughout the episode can be proven from several sources. They're used as the source of a minion from the Talmud Megillah 23b. Uh, Also, after the sin of the Raglaim, the verse states, Ad Masai Le Dahara Hazult. And it says, Until when will we suffer from this evil group? And the sages used a Hekesh to learn from here that an Ada witness, a minion, is made up of, or like Ada congregation, which is a minion. A minion is considered a congregation, by the way. And it says they're made up of ten men, just like the group of the Meraglaim who sinned. The fast day of the seventeenth of Elul. Did you know there was a fast day in Elul? Well, there you go. Uh, in chapter five hundred eighty in the Shulchan Aruch. A list of fast days is given for scrupulous Jews commemorating different events which warrant fasting, most of which are fast commemorating the death of Zadokim. When did the ten Raglaim die, or Meraglaim die? The ten of the twelve, they died on the 17th of Elul. Anyway, that's a couple of different things. Various an- or rejoice with the loss of Rashaim. Various answers are offered, and of these answers, some Mefarsh- Mefarshim state in truth the Megraglaim were Zadikim, and therefore we fast just like after the death of any other Zadik listed there. Meraglaim remained righteous or remained Zadikim until their death to the caliber that it is worthy to fast on that day, just like it is worthy to fast on the day of the passing of Moshe, Miriam, Nadav, and Avihu, and others. So thank you, Lakute Sukkot.
anyway uh back over here with the descendants that were in the land this is going to be interesting to find this out oh yeah that that was the uh descendants of Anak. okay so there were giants in the land descendants of Anak. okay so same verse Slika. all right it's just so much uh information here but i just wanted to bring this up that you know next point that when we look at this this whole aspect of giants one of the things that's brought down about the land from Lakute Sikot is that it represents our bodies. So the, the nations that we're supposed to move out of the land represents the, the unkosher things about our body, all the different sins, you know, the thoughts, the speech, the deeds, the unkosher actions and stuff like that. You know, we we're supposed to move those out. So those nations, the seven nations represent those seven aspects. And it's interesting that there are seven sins that are considered to be very, very horrible. And so removing these Canaanite nations out of the land of Israel is like purifying our bodies. So the nation of Israel is likened to the body of a human being and the children of Israel leaving Egypt going into Israel and removing the Canaanites from there, which, by the way, the Canaanites just kind of came and settled there because we weren't there because we decided we like Egypt better. And the Canaanites was like, yeah, y'all can stay in Egypt. Don't do the Torah. Don't even get the Torah. Stay in exile. Stay in slavery. You know, serve Pharaoh. Don't serve Hashem. We love it here. And by the way, for any of us who are going through conversion, went through conversion, constantly going through conversion we know what that's like there's just parts of us that's like nah we ain't gonna be doing that today you know nah we don't want to wrap notes of feeling we don't want to dive in we don't want to study the bar shot we don't want to keep shabbat we don't want to eat kosher you know and you name it the list goes on but it's like we got to get the nations out so that's the second thing about slaying the giants giants are those aspects of our psyche that tell us, no, you will not go any further than this, like the limiters within us. And again, these giants, they can't match the Kohanim. They can't. They can't stand up to the clouds of glory. They can't do any of that. Because why? Well, if you go to the Kerhurt Humash, Parshava Ekanon, in the Hasidic Insights, chapter 3, verse 27 of Devarim, as we mentioned previously in the overview to Parsha Shalak, had Moshe, so the Kehurt Humash, the Kehot Humash, and the overview on Parsha Shalak also says this. It's going to be echoed in Ve'ekanon. Had Moshe himself led the people into the promised land, their entry would have been miraculous. They would have been led by the clouds of glory and the pillar of fire 
and the nations occupying the land would have offered no resistance. The miraculous conquest would have been a direct continuation of the miraculous exodus from Egypt, which had stricken the nations occupying the land of Israel with intense fear. As the Jews proclaimed at the song of the sea, nations heard and became anger, terror, gripped those who dwell in Philistia. By the way, this is in the Hopter as well. Rahab says people's hearts are like water. They know y'all are coming in and it ain't going to be good. We can't, we don't have a chance. So anyway, and it goes on to say that uh, the chieftains of Edom became disoriented. Boy, this is happening today. I'm telling you, the the church, Christianity, it's unraveling at the seams. It's like, can't handle this truth, man. Can't handle this. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach about Xmas, and yet we're celebrating it, but we don't know why. Well, we know why, but we don't want to talk about it. And Yeshua, his name is not JC. Yeshua was a made-up name from the 1600s at best. You know, and it's a translation of a translation of a translation. We don't change the name of other deities, but why are we changing his? You know, it's disorienting. It's like, I can't talk to you right now. You know, like there's all sorts of stuff going on. So chieftains of Edom disoriented. Trembling seized the mighty men of Moab. And then it says, all the inhabitants of Canaan melted away. Like in Shemot 15, 14 through 15, the song at the sea. Which, by the way, is in daily liturgy for Shakarit service in the Suke de Zimra, Psalms of Praise section. For those of you who want to check that out. So that's really cool. We focus on every day going into the land. Like I was saying earlier, if you're doing the Sidur prayer services, you're literally making yourself ready for redemption every single day. Hence why Sidur is the root of Seder, which is order or Seder is the root of Sidur, which is the word for order. And it's like, we're getting our lives in order. It's like basic instructions before leaving earth kind of thing. You know, the Bible acronym, the Sidur gets you ready for redemption. So guess what? If we had the whole entire world praying from the Sidur, dude, like seriously, So just thinking about that line of, you know, even if there's giants in the land, they have no match for what's going on. If we, if we're in Torah, we're purifying ourselves. We're making Shuva. The ark is going before us. Like, because if we, if we are assist, if we're striving to purify ourselves, we're assisted by heaven. But if we want to defile ourselves. We're also assisted by heaven. So we need to figure out which way we want to go. Like today I said before you life or death, choose life. That stuff, you know, right? This is why you can't get caught up in signs. Oh, Hashem has blessed me. Hashem spoke to me. Hashem totally allowed this to happen for me. It's like, well, are you on the right track? Are you going according to his word? Because Hashem can totally help you be off the right track as well. He can help you be on the wrong track. Because you want to be on the wrong track. So which track do you want to be on? And whatever track you want to be on, he's going to help you be on. So let's go ahead and apply that to the giants. Yeah, giants exist. They're in front of you. 
You got things in your life that take, nope, can't go past this spot. You also have things in your life that are just, you know, um, they're there. They're aspects of um, things that want to discourage you and things that want to uh, make you doubt yourself and make you want to just go, you know what? It's just good if I just stay where I'm at. You know, I don't I don't really need to be all courageous. I don't really need to be a person who grabs a hold of the kingdom by force. I can just kind of let things roll out over time. You know, your giants are going to do that. But the cool thing is, is if you're ready to go forth, Hashem is going to help you. He's going to help all of us. We didn't have to stay in the wilderness for 40 years. We chose to. And Hashem was like, since you choose to, I'll help you. Midrash teaches that when we left Egypt and we're getting ready to head towards the promised land, that uh, the nations of Canaan started burning up parts of the land. They were like, no, if the Jews are going to take this land, it's going to be over our dead bodies and burn land because they knew they were going to die. They knew they had no fighting chance. Again, we just read it. Exodus chapter 15. Song of the Sea, right? So they were like, well, the only hope is destroy the land. And it's just kind of like, yeah, even that didn't work because within 40 years, the land was replenished, rejuvenated, ready to go. So, yeah, even though we chose to stay in the wilderness, that actually kind of worked to uh, revamp the land. So, anyway, throwing that out there for what that's worth. Um, my biggest point on the Giants is going to come from Rabbi GQ. Let's see if I can find this here. Yep. This is Rabbi GQ. Rabbi uh, Rabbi GQ Slita. Rabbi Greenbaum, who is a contemporary rabbi. He lives today in Israel. Does wonderful uh, shirim uh, and gives out a weekly commentary on the Parsha. He says this, the sin of the spies was a failure of faith, a failure of faith. Okay. So think about this for a second. We walk by faith, not by sight. So if you have a failure of faith, you're no longer walking, which means you're like a lame person, right? And it also means that you're focusing on seeing because if your faith is not about what you see, but about what you're doing, then what about if you stop doing and if you stop having faith, now you're going to be focused on what you can see. So if you're faith, you're not worried about the sight. But if you're not faith, you are worried about the sight. So anyway, just a little Corinthians drop for us. Walk by faith, not by sight, right? Not new. It's from uh, Parsha Shlach. Okay. All right. So the sin of the spies was a failure of faith. They allowed themselves. Say allowed. Allowed. We have to, we have to be careful what we allow ourselves. Bezrat Hashem, we all allow ourselves to be Lapidim, to be 
Lapid Legion to be Avengers, we allow ourselves to be servants of Hashem. Says they allowed themselves to be misled by the external appearance of the natural world into a colossal failure. That's funny because the whole thing about the giants. <sighs> wow. Anyway, the the appearance of the natural world into a colossal failure of nerve. Despite all the promises given by God that he would bring them to the land, the faith of Israel does not depend upon what the eyes see. The faith of Israel does not depend upon what the eyes see. The faith of Israel does not depend upon what the eyes see. So, say la. And then I want to bring up the fact that if you read the beginning of chapter 15 in the parasha, Hashem talks about what we're going to be bringing as Corbinot in the promised land, what our wives are going to be bringing in the promised land, what our children are going to be doing in the promised land. Because one of the things that we said when the ten when the ten spoke up Lashon Hara and all that, we said, oh, our, our wives and our children are going to die and all this kind of stuff and you know, the giants are going to kill us if we try to go into the land. Hashem's like, uh, let me tell you how much the giants are going to kill your wives and your children. Let's read chapter 15. <laughs> you know, and you read about the holiday separation among many things, grain offerings and stuff. I mean, it's crazy. So I loved that from uh, Rabbi GQ. Uh, that, you know, our faith does not depend upon what we can see. And if we stay stuck in that mentality, like, we're going to have to fight giants. There are going to be massive numbers of armies. And we're, here we are, these bunch of people from Egypt. We have to remember that grabbing a hold of the Torah, the Torah grabs a hold of us. We become something different. And we can't see what we have become, but we have to know and operate within that. See, this is why you can't get distraught and defeated whenever you feel like you failed because you're only looking at external and you're not even looking at Teshuvah at that point. Because if you're ever trying to do something and you fail at it, you get to make Teshuvah right there. This is literally an opportunity of Teshuvah. Sometimes you're like, I've made so much shuva, I don't know what else I can make shuva in, which obviously is false. But sometimes we get like that. Sometimes we think, oh, I've been doing pretty good on my Musar. You know, and then bam, Musar opportunity comes and you're like, I shouldn't have said nothing. But anyway, so when we go through things that are tough for us, Hashem is like, you're welcome. Here's your teshuva opportunity, right? And so because we make Teshuvah, we, we become a new creation right there. Right there, you become a new creation. And it's like, but I've been a new creation. I currently am a new creation. And, I current, and I'm moving towards being a new creation even in a little bit, you know? So you're constantly being renewed. Because remember, I talked about observance and being Jewish conversion is like 160th of the resurrection. 
you know, that whole drop. So just remember that, you know, so no one can ever tell you you're not good enough and you're not a legit Jew. Your conversion was not valid. If your conversion lines up with what conversion is, which what is conversion? Um, that if you're a guy, you get circumcised, but everybody goes into the mikvah for immersion. Oh, and this one thing called you bring a Corbin to the temple, which by the way, no one can do right now because we don't have one. So for people who've converted in the past 2000 years, everybody's missing step number three, but you don't hear nobody saying Onkelos is not a convert. Rabbi Akiva, you definitely don't hear nobody saying he's not, you know, a legit Jew, you know, and all that. But yeah, they are converts. They're legit Jews. They're codified in Talmud. The Uncle's Humash is ridiculous if you can get you one. Same thing goes for us. Hey, we may not know much Hebrew. We're walking with Yeshua. We're keeping the Torah. I mean, what else do you want? You know? Yeah, we're not keeping it perfectly because why? We're having to learn how to do it on our own. We're busy. We got families. We got obligations at work, community things, you know, trying to grow uh HCO communities, you know, hardcore online communities, people who don't live in the area and yet they're, you know, across the United States, across the globe or whatever. And the only way we can talk is uh, through social media or text message, cell phone, you know, kind of stuff. And it's like, obviously, it's not going to be an effective uh, growth plan that's going to be like, all right, in six months, we're all tip top shape, ready to go halakhically everybody's on shukana root coal like we all know it which by the way is not even a goal to really attain it's good to know the shukana root but until you get back to the talmud you're not really working with the essential tools because the sanhedrin is the rulings that we need to go by we don't go by the rulings of rambam i know that's probably going to be crazy to some people we don't go by the rulings of the Shulchan Aruch. Because why? Nobody goes by the rulings of Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch teaches you what hand you need to use to wipe with after doing number two in the bathroom. Do people do that? I don't think so. Some people, they do. But not everybody. Some people probably didn't even know that was a thing. You know, which shoe do you put on first? You know, don't play music ever. You know, some of these things. So, yeah, learning halakha is totally, like, overwhelming. Which is why you need a rabbi who can help you halakhically line up with where you need to be. As opposed to you out there just uh, solo, you know, Han Solo style doing stuff by yourself out there, lone wolfing it. Being like, I got all these books and I'm reading them, and I'm looking around at the community, and nobody's doing this, nobody's doing that. There's a certain way you need to hold your kid's cup. There's a certain way you need to, you know, do this and do that, and it's just like nobody's doing it. So, first of all, what's the community standard on things? 
because that's what you go by. If you don't like the community standards, you go find a community whose standards you go by because every community defers and their standards. Why? Because they have abilities that other communities don't. Sarsha Loam's community is in Fort Worth where there are no kosher restaurants. So obviously we can't say, you know, uh, unless you're going to a kosher restaurant, you don't get to go to a restaurant. But if Sarsha Loam was surrounded by kosher restaurants, we have no excuse to be going to non-kosher restaurants. Go to the kosher restaurant. It's down the street, you know. And that doesn't mean if you go to a non-kosher restaurant because we don't have kosher restaurants that you get to eat unkosher food. Uh, you can eat a salad, you know. Get yourself a hectored bottle of water or the hectored bars or something there, you know. Go to the grocery store nearby and get you some food and, and take it out with you wherever you need to go, you know. So there's all these sorts of options. So that's another way to slay giants is to Follow your community. Most giants get taken down through sticking with your community. Yeah, everyone's not perfect. Again, there's big letters, small letters, broken letters, and weird-looking letters. And you're like, why is that a thing? And it's like, I can't stand it. But you're being covered, okay? And because you're with this community, you're going to learn, you're going to grow, each of you are going to help each other. And, you know, if you're open-minded and teachable, you're going to learn from people you think are just, I can't see how that person could teach anybody anything, you know? Sometimes you feel like that about people. And it's just like, we got to work on not feeling that way about people, obviously. But one of the things we have to keep in mind, you don't know who knows what. And the these people can surprise you. This is why I'm always amazed at what I learned from other people at Sarshalom. Other people who don't even know what sources are, they school me on things. And I'm like, oh, wow. I'm so, well, I can't say I'm jealous because we're not supposed to be jealous of one another. But I'm trying to find a kosher word that I can use because cause you just schooled me and I'm not okay with that. But, you know. Anyway, but that comes with being humble. <laughs> right? Teachable. And looking beyond the external. Last thing I want to point out, I took a picture of some stuff from uh, Rav Brazil. This is from Dr. Sakal Slita. And Rav Brazil was talking about what's going on with NASA sending people in outer space during this time. Like, what are you doing? Uh, there's just a little pandemic going on, a little racial war action. Let's go in outer space. What? So he's like, these things are all related. So I'm like, Rob Brazil, what in the world? So here it is. Obviously, we know that people have really been dying from COVID-19, but not nearly as many as reports have said. And... You know, I was talking to uh, Iron Na'ar, yes, the Iron Lad Shlita, uh, that Avenger, and him and I were talking, and we're like, yeah, okay, we get it. Racial wars is not really a thing because, you know, 
obviously the prejudice and all that kind of stuff has existed, but it's not predominant. And so there's a big stir of trying to get that to be the predominant thing. But he reminded me that a lot of the people who were around uh, during the days of segregation, you know, they grew up in that. Like, you know, he was saying specifically his father, you know, uh, was used to having a whites only um, water fountain up until he was 12 years old. That was his dad. And so it's just kind of like, yeah, so can we really fault those individuals who grew up in that? And then obviously they transition out of it because you're looking at the crucial years of the life of a of a youth, you know, of an adolescent. And it's just kind of like, so, yeah, they grow up with that. That's in their memory. So however that would fall out, because, again, one of the things quantum physics teaches is that there's called the pigeonhole experiment. That, yeah, just because you send something in through this one particular path doesn't mean it's going to come out the other end like everybody else who goes through that particular path. So, uh, yeah, I'm just going to shout out uh, Geulat Shlita, Professor Shemshon. Uh, Yeah, he's the one who's got me into all this science stuff because he has a book about science uh, proves God exists and science creation Hashem and all this stuff he's got a book coming out it's gonna be awesome uh it's very very Christian it gives a little bit of uh sprinklings of Judaism but you know he's definitely transitioned out of Christianity still working on that and him and his wife are doing beautiful stuff and you know it's just incredible but anyway that's why I'm getting a lot of these science drops in here so um that's where that's all coming from anyway but rob brazil though says here's my new interpretive take on COVID 19 Slika, the word COVID, by the way is the word kavod in hebrew which means glory heavy or weight he says the number 19 alludes to the 19th chapter of psalms Come on, man. The Incredible Talmud Shlita has that song. The heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare. Come on, get you some. Anyway, COVID-19, the coronavirus, the crown virus is really like, obviously it's horrible. Nobody needs to be getting that. But it's literally underneath all of that saying, declare the glory of God. Just on a Hebrew interpretation, just like in Psalm 19. And I'm like, Rob Brazil, what's wrong with you? Why you do that? (laughs) Anyway, uh, it says this chapter tells us that the Kavod belongs to Hashem. And he pronounces Kavod as COVID, like COVID, Kavod, you know, you can say Kavod as COVID because it's the same. 
You just change up the vowel points, basically. Uh, change the vav to a yod because you can put a vav in there or take it out and it's still the same word. Add a yod, take it out, it's still the same word. Anyway, throwing those things out there again. Remember the missing letters all speak of Mashiach. So, uh, you have the heavens and the earth recognize and acknowledge that Hashem is independent of everyone and everything. And it is the universe and man who are the ones who are totally dependent on him. It is our mission to act and live daily with this absolute truth. Just around the time that the restrictions of COVID-19 were about to be relaxed, Hashem saw that we needed more incubation time to internalize its message. Hashem brought the U.S., the United States, another plague of destruction and devastation, riots, fear, looting, fires, destruction of properties, injuring hundreds of police personnel, and rampant carnage are only a few facets of this present human plague. Go back to Parsha Be'alohat Tekha, uh, that there was the whole graves of craving and the fires that broke out and the whole need to uh, bring forth new elders. Now in this Parsha, we got us crying on Tisha B'Av, even before Tisha B'Av, you know, the night that the spies returned and gave the reports, we cried all night. Hashem was like, you crying? But give you something to cry for, you know, and, uh, you know, the horrible uh, riot uh, because the people were wanting to stone Caleb and Yehoshua. I got to get the ladders dropped. Hang on. Goodness. Okay. Caleb talking about ladders. Where is that at? Yeah, okay, obviously, well, this is going to come from Legends of the Jews, which sources out other commentaries, but we're just going to get straight to the print. Legends of the Jews, section 3-4, and beginning at 105. Caleb had given his comrades an entirely false impression concerning his sentiments, for when these formed the plan to try to make Israel desist from entering Canaan, they drew him into their council and he pretended to agree with them. Whereas he even then resolved to intercede for Canaan. Hence, when Caleb, Caleb arose, the spies were silent. They're like, yeah, he about to do it. Everybody respects Caleb. So they said, or I was like, all right, everybody be quiet. He's about to get up and do his thing. He's in agreement with us. All right, let's do this. Watch. It's going to be awesome. Supposing he would corroborate with their statements, a supposition, which his introductory words tended to strengthen. He began, be silent. I will reveal the truth. This is not for all, which we have to thank the son of Amram. But to the amazement of the spies, his next words praised and not blamed. <laughs> Love it. It says, he said, Moshe, it is he who drew us out of Egypt, 
who clove the sea for us, who gave us manna as food. Side note, I want to point out to you, Caleb is speaking about Moshe doing what Hashem did for us. Kind of the same way we speak about Yeshua doing what Hashem did for us. Because you realize it was Yeshua, it was Hashem who saved us with his mighty right hand, even though obviously it was Yeshua on the stake and being resurrected and all that and speaking the words of Hashem to us, telling us to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, healing the sick, raising the dead, among a few things he did. But remember, that was all Hashem. So Caleb right here is like Hashem gave us manna, Hashem or uh, Moshe gave us manna, Moshe clothed the sea. And it's like, no, Moshe didn't technically. But considering equality with Hashem, not something to be grasped, we're going to keep moving. So he gave us the manna, clothed the sea, like parted the sea for us. In this way, he continued his eulogy on Moshe, closing with the words, we have to obey him. Even if he bade us to ascend to Shemaim upon ladders. These words of Kalev were heard by all the people for his words were so mighty that they could be heard 12 miles off. Talk about a movie, right? You would think you need a microphone or a sound system. I'm pretty sure a microphone and a sound system can't travel 12 miles. Homeboy without a microphone or a sound system. His voice traveled 12 miles. Say to the Lia. Say to the Liza. Say la. Anyway, it was this same powerful voice that has saved the life of the spies. For when the Canaanites first took note of them and suspected them of being spies, the three giants, Ahiman, Sheshai and Talmai pursued them and caught up with them in the plain of Judea. When Caleb, hidden behind a fence, saw that the giants were at their heels, he uttered such a shout, and the giants fell down in a swoon because of the frightful Dean judgment. Okay, <laughs> that's ridiculous. And it says, when they had recovered, they needed a new haircut. I'm just kidding. That's my, I like saying that from the Remember the Titans movie. Boy, I'm going to knock you out. And by the time you come back, you're going to need a new haircut. Anyway, Caleb's voice did that to the Giants. It says, when they recovered, the Giants declared that they had pursued the Israelites, not because of the fruits, but because they had suspected them of the wish to burn their cities. So anyway, that whole section there is where the people get upset and ready to stone Caleb and Joshua. And then obviously that doesn't happen. But remember, they tried to stone Yeshua and he just walked right through the cloud, the crowd and just kind of disappeared from him. So anyway, that's in Parashah Shalak. Trying to stone Yehoshua and Caleb. And it's like, nope, you will not. Not today. <clears throat> Okay, let's finish up here, though, Rob Brazil. So I just uh, find it just so amazing that, you know, 
in Eretz Israel, we're in Parsha Shlach, and in the diaspora, we're in Parsha Beha Aloteka. But either way, between those two parshot, there's riots, fears, looting, burnings, and all sorts of stuff going on. Destruction, devastation, wars. It says, the similarity between COVID-19 and the current insurrection of the country are revealing. One person being the carrier of the virus crippled the entire world. One death of a person ignited the entire Wild West uprising. Some blame it on anarchists such as Antifa. It's all irrelevant. We still remain helpless, dumbfounded, not knowing how to stop both out-of-control plagues. The paralysis of both mind and body have been brought upon us in order to understand clearly that the events of this new crisis are orchestrated by no, no other but Hashem, who is hoping to drive home the Mishnah at the end of Sota. And it says that in the end, or that in the days before Mashiach, we must come to the realization that we must reach the point of total surrendering of ourselves to our master with no ifs, buts, and conditions. There is no answer or hopeful solution. When we arrive at that level, it is then that we will understand why Parsha Naso coincides with the world-altering plagues. So he's on Parsha Naso dropping this, and it just so happens to apply to Beha Aloteka and Shlok. He goes on to say, we would be amiss if we did not also connect the third spectacular event, the current event of NASA sending two astronauts, two astronauts like Joshua sent two spies into Jericho. Okay. No coincidence at all, right? Uh, anyway, sent two astronauts into space to the eternal international space station with this week's parsha of Naso, and he says Nasa, which is in Eretz Israel, launch into space on Shabbat. So he's making a uh, a homiletic with Naso and Nasa, which is Nasa, uh, corresponding to Parsha Naso, and during the Shabbat of Naso being read in Eretz Israel is when NASA sent the two uh, astronauts in outer space. The word NASA also meaning to launch and to lift up. Anyway, so it says that uh, the tribe of Gershon, those people who divorced Hashem by not acknowledging Hashem's constant provision in their lives and in the world at large, and it says that, you know, the heads of Gershon had to be lifted up, i.e. taking the senses of them. So we need to take account of people who divorce Hashem by not acknowledging Hashem's constant provision in their lives and in the world at large. It is just, it is this just as, or is this just a coincidence 
that this event is happening together with the other two. I believe that it is too a calling from above to help us refocus, i.e. count or lift up the heads of Gershon, uh, because there is a uh, derivative of the word Gershon that has to do with people who divorce themselves from Hashem. Not that the Gershonites did that, but one of the meanings of it uh, has to do with that. So it says, I believe this too is a calling from above to help us refocus our sights and thoughts towards Shemaim and Hashem instead of focus on ourselves, materialism and earthliness. Hashem is telling us that the healing of all problems is to look upwards to Hashem. Only Hashem can bring the world the great salvation that is needed at this time. Fight COVID-19 with the Kavod 19 of Psalms, chapter 19, with the recognition of Kavod Kol, the holy voice or the glorious voice. The Spaceship X took 19 hours on its journey to reach the International Space Station. Do you actually believe that another 19 at this time is another coincidence? I agree that its success was a big covode to the United States. However, let us not forget that this covode of 19 was also only made possible by the master of all worlds. In order for us to keep the focus on Shemaim at these trying times. So focusing on the glory of Hashem, specifically like in Psalm chapter 19. Psalm chapter 19 is partially about creation revealing God's glory. And the second half is about the Torah revealing God's glory. So we need to bring those two things side by side in complete unity. How do we do that through Torah? Because as we live Torah observant lives, we harmonize nature to Hashem. We harmonize ourselves to Hashem and we go forth. So that's all the time I have today for this podcast. Obviously that's, it's been quite a journey uh, and lots of back and forth stuff. So if you're still here with me, Baruch Hashem, thank you for uh, being a part of this podcast. Hopefully you learned uh, some beautiful things that are not just uh, mind-boggling insights, but that are also transformative insights. Because one of the things I want to encourage at least the people who listen to my podcast to do is to step up and lead the world. Because... One of the things that I got to read today from the Midrash Rabbah was that was so awesome. But it was talking about how we as the nation of Israel are literally called a kingdom of priests because it says that eventually we will become a king over ourself, a master of self-control and obedience to the Torah and in the service of God, thus by doing 
this part to fulfill the mission of God assigned to the Jewish people at large. It says, once people see how this Hasid and his commitment to obeying his creator conducts his own life with poise, discipline, and good sense, they will be happy. Who? The people, the nations. They will be happy to accept his authority over themselves. Our being a kingdom of priests, i.e. giant killers, will actually give the world confidence and becoming subservient to the Torah of Hashem. But if they don't see it, they won't know it and they won't have that opportunity. So let's continue to put Torah on display, even in the face of anti-Semitism, even in the face of all the chaos. We need to let the glory of God be known upon the earth. And as kingdom of priests, we are in charge of doing that. So let's do it. Let's be the most amazing Shuva heroes we can be using every tool in our arsenal, all of our superpower abilities. Light it up. Turn up. Let's all get us some. Let's all give the world some. Lapid Legion, Sarshalomis, Chavengers, let's go. Let's do this. Kili Shuateka Kiviti Hashem, Baruch Haba Beshem Adonai, Hakadosh Baruchu, please send Mashiach now. Baruch Atah Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Haolam, Asher Natan Lanu Torate Met, Vekaye Olam Natabet Ocheinu, Baruch Atah Adonai, Noten Hatorah.